Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast about Shonen Jump. My name is Jeremy, I'm your host. And I'm also your host, Kevin. I can't remember how this podcast starts, it turns out. I've only done it twice and I already forgot. We've only done it once. We're still establishing the intro. That's true. How are you today, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. I got a kind of half day at work, so I had some extra time to laze about and do stuff, which was great. I had a no day at work, but I had 10 hours yesterday and 10 hours tomorrow, so... Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. No, not really. Gotta look forward to the paycheck, though. Yep. All right, so shall we start with Shonen Jump? What is What number is it? Man, I should have written that down. I didn't. Neither did I. It's for the week of October 8th, 2018. I don't think we even said the issue of the last one it's shown a jump number 45 45 okay that seems low they've been doing this for less than a year yeah it might have been when they switched to shown a jump weekly or they changed something i think i've been paying for more than a year yeah it doesn't seem like it's only been weekly for a year to me but i believe you you have no reason to lie to me that's what it says on the cover speaking of the cover let's talk about the cover first because we mentioned it a little bit last week but we didn't really talk about it it's a dr stone cover yep Featuring Senku? Is that his name? Or yes. is that the name I messed up? Senku. And the villain? Sukasa. Sukasa. I was close. I was yep. going to say Subasa. Yeah, that was, that was pretty okay. close. So Senku is fighting the guy from Dot Hack. Yes. It's just an extreme close-up of the two of them, kind of posed at each other like they're in a fight. Yep. Nothing particularly special, but it does have some okay action lines. It was kind of a rehash of what happened at the very end of the last comic, at least the the full color page. But I like the art for it. Okay, so of course, the first story is Dr. Stone, Z equals 77, the power of science. Yep. So Dr. Stone is a series I was expecting to like a lot, but it kind of isn't. I still find the art to be kind of confusing, especially, I think, because I don't really know who any of the characters are. I think that's my biggest problem with it. That probably doesn't help because they tend to distort features to imply emotions or different scenarios. So if you don't intrinsically know who the characters are, you're going to have a hard time figuring out why is this guy freaking out? Why is this guy got bug eyes? That kind of thing. What I found more true was that I had a real hard time telling who I was supposed to root for and who I wasn't. Like Promised Neverland, the artist does a little bit where he exaggerates the features of the good guys more and the bad guys are drawn a little more realistically. Yep. But it wasn't always enough for me to tell. I couldn't tell for sure if this is a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah, it's fairly clear the enemy grunts all look exactly the same. Yeah. And then there's really only the two bad guys, uh, Sukasa and I'm totally blanking on the other guy's name. Good. Yep, there, uh, there's a lot of names in Shonen Jump, it turns out. I remember he uses a pipe spear, which is really cool. Yeah, the female protagonist lady grabs it at one point, but he's like, dude, I have another. Yeah, well, I mean, who would only bring one weapon to a fight? So, picking up from last week, this episode, the combat team is trying to stall the villains long enough for Senku, and who's the other character? Is it... Chrome? Um, Chrome is the other part of the science team, and then there's also... The guy who talks in Pig Latin? The, yeah, he's a mentalist. Anyway, their combat team is trying to stall for them to science up a weapon. Yep. There's a funny bit with some poop where Senku's like, ah, oh, if we're lucky, this will make some acid. But Senku apparently has really bad luck. Yeah. But then, thanks to some soap he has and something Chrome has from earlier, and I have a feeling this is all stuff that's been hinted up at and built up in the manga, but they happen to just have a, the exact components after thinking it over to make some nitroglycerin. Yep. 
Uh, to jump on the soap thing really quickly, I liked the comment that Senku makes of like, soap was the first thing I made to impress the people at the village as a science demonstration. So it's pretty fitting that it all started with soap and it will all end with soap. And that soap is actually Dr. Stone. He actually calls it Dr. Stone. That was a great roll credits moment. Also great, at the end of each issue, there's some notes from the author. The ones for Dr. Stone this week are just, I left out some of the steps to make nitroglycerin. Please do not try this at home. Yeah, well, even in the manga, Senku is like, oh, you probably shouldn't do this at home, kids. And Chrome remarks, who who is he talking to and who would do that? Also, the combat team wants to try the Thunder Cannon at some point, and I don't know what that is or if they tried it. They tried it in the chapter just before this one, so you missed out on what it does. Gotcha. One cool thing I liked during that fight sequence is the female fighter chick who I'm, again, blanking on her name. I don't even know that they mentioned it in this episode. I didn't see it. Yeah. She's got the quote, every person's contribution, no matter how small, adds up little by little to create something greater. See, I didn't like that. It seemed really on the nose to me. This is just her talking about how, ah, we're just stalling you. I mean, it's a very Japanese idea, and it's very much the theme of the comic, so if I had been reading it longer, maybe the impact would have been greater to me, but it just kind of felt like stating the moral to me. That's kind of the thing of Tsukasa is all about brute strength and the strength of the self. That's true, and the few. Yeah, and Senku is science, which is all about people making small contributions to add up to something greater. So it was like she was using, hey, we're using science to defeat you at its most broad level, not just we're going to make weapons with science. We're using the principles of everybody works together towards a common goal to achieve something greater than any of us could do on our own. So the comic ends with Senku making some dynamite and delivering it on a paper airplane. Yep. Well, he just, he makes nitroglycerin. He doesn't technically make dynamite. He makes a reference to the fact that the Greek word for strength is dynamite or something like like that. It looks like dynamite in the panel to me. So he was saying, do you know what the Greek word for strength is dynamite? They show a picture of dynamite. It was just nitroglycerin, which is used in dynamite. But there's some other stuff added to dynamite, like I think specifically sawdust, weirdly enough. I took it as literally he has made dynamite, so. Basically, I guess. I mean, my last note is, hey, I learned something, because that makes a lot of sense. That's where we get the word dynamo also, but I didn't actually know that. Yeah. Also, we learned how to make the Guinness Book of World Records longest (laughs) flying paper airplane, which I thought was a cool little panel to have, like, here's how you fold the paper airplane to make the longest flying paper airplane that you can. That's very early One Piece, which we'll get to. Yes. Later. Do you have any other thoughts on Dr. Stone? I actually ended up ranking it kind of low just because I thought it was a little on the nose. And I do like the idea of the battle team stalling so they can do something. But it was a pretty transitory chapter, in my opinion. Yeah, I ended up ranking it kind of low as well. I liked pretty much everything in this. So ranking was hard, but I did end up ranking it low because just like you said, it's kind of transitory. It's like, oh, they made nitroglycerin. That's pretty cool. But it just it wasn't one of the best chapters, but I still did enjoy it. Okay, next we have The Promised Neverland, chapter 106, The Way Out. This chapter starts from the villain's perspective with him kind of going over his plan to trap the kids and what he needs to do and how he needs to maneuver to stop them from escaping. Yep. Is that common in this series? Do we get the villain's perspective a lot or is this kind of unusual we've gotten it before but it's mostly been the children's perspective we have gotten the villain's perspective before so this isn't a brand new thing but usually it's from the kid's perspective you don't get from the villain what he's thinking 
usually the only way you kind of get that is one of the kids figures out what the villain is thinking or what the enemy is thinking like oh he must be thinking this and that's how you kind of get an insight into their ideas is through the kids figuring out what their enemy is doing it's just pretty unusual in any series for you to get like inner monologue from the villain i mean it's certainly not the first time i've seen it but yeah it did strike me as a little odd and i wondered if he was going to go on to be a more important character later it is totally possible i think we've only gotten this once before in the comic or in the manga so i i don't know why i keep calling them comics i mean i use the word interchangeably so i probably should but next we get ray's inner monologue and him like trying to figure out what he wants how he wants to get out and he comes to the conclusion that the only way to escape is to kill their enemies i found this sequence just a little bit confusing because we just had another character's inner monologue and they use the same font and kind of art style for each of them and i was starting to wonder if we were going to different characters like on certain panels that we close up on them yeah you can't do the thing in american comics where usually different characters inner monologues have different color speech bubbles because you don't have speech bubbles nor do you have color really so i wasn't too confused by this i could see how you would be but i kind of picked on very quickly it's like all right now we're in ray's head and then we do briefly go into emma's head do we that's what i was trying to figure out is are we in emma's head now or is this still ray no yeah we go into emma's head i think we just stay in their two heads think because it transitions from ray deciding we need to kill them i don't know if ever but he concludes probably correctly that he's like i could probably do it but i don't know if anyone else could kill another human because they've been fighting demons beforehand and it's easier to fight a monster or something other than yourself. It's much harder to kill a human because you relate to them versus Emma's inner monologue is all about, all right, we need to somehow figure out a way to escape. But then luckily they don't have to because one of the other kids runs up with a radio that Lucas grabbed from the enemies and now they've got a report of where everyone's location is. Yep. And earlier when we were seeing the villain's inner monologue, he was speculating there might have been pieces of the map he was given that were missing. Yeah. He didn't have a full layout. Well, yeah, because he was like, I don't know how they would have been able to do this. There must be a hidden room. Like he just came to the conclusion that either the supporters didn't give everything up or more than likely it was kind of that intelligent cell network thing where not everybody has all the no single person has the full picture oh, this guy got captured? Well, they got 70% of the map or 80% of the map, but they don't know these couple of things because that guy didn't know it either. So based on their current formation, Ray and Emma are able to figure out that they can escape through a certain gap as long as they're fast enough. Yep. And so all the kids managed to escape. And this felt a little deus ex machina to me. You were talking last week about how what you really like from this series is when the kids have to figure out problems. And they set up a big problem last week, but now the solution just gets handed to them. In previous chapters, did we see Lucas getting this radio? Was this set up or is this introduced in this chapter? I think it was in the last chapter, wasn't it? When Lucas, no, it might've been the one just before this where he took out one of the guards. Yeah. I didn't remember ever seeing Lucas before when okay, I was reading so this. So it must've been, it must've been forgotten. Yeah. But... It must've been the chapter just before this when he took out one of the guards. Cause I think the very end of it is he takes out one of the guards and can hear on the radio and he's like oh no, they know where all the secret entrances are because they start off with the assumption, oh, they must have figured out the location, but they don't have a floor plan. We can use these secret entrances to escape. Given that information, I actually like this chapter a lot more then because then it was set up. So this, this doesn't come out of nowhere. Whereas for me, I didn't get to see that part. So I wasn't sure 
Yeah. Whether or not that had been established. This was a bit more of a deus ex machina than normal. Normally they would have done something like Ray would have figured out a plan to gather the information of where everyone is and then formulate a plan to escape. But it's still, they had set up, oh, we got this communication. We can monitor them. And of course the kids are super geniuses and hear a couple of lines and are like, all right, they're here, 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 and here. And like immediately know everything. So the kids manage to escape and they meet up with Lucas, who has killed a couple of guards at this point. Yep. But I think just two, because he killed one outside and then there was the one he got the initial radio from. Yeah. They meet up with them and they're talking. Ray and Emma went to stay behind because they feel like they have to basically cover all the other kids escape because they are trying to save 60 kids and they're a big group. Yep. But Lucas and the other adult, whose name I can't remember. Hugo. Hugo. Say that they have to stay behind and there are only two gas masks anyway because Lucas has only killed. Yeah. Two people. Yep. So the chapter ends with the kids running and the two adults going back in talking about how it'll be a good place to die. So I don't know if this is going to be where we see them for the last time or if we're going to follow them a little longer. But I think the intention of the cliffhanger is not knowing. Yeah. I also felt at the end of this, I was wondering if I think the villain's name is Andrew. Yeah. If he had set this up. So he set up a small gap for them to leak through because he had that speculation. Oh, there must be a hidden room. So maybe he's like, we'll leave a gap, they'll escape, and then we can capture them more easily. Then I don't know if that was him trying to set up a trap or if it was they just happened to figure out a way through his net because he didn't know about this one escape room. Yeah, because we saw his own inner monologue, that made it feel credible to me that this was not his original plan. Yeah, but but I don't know for sure. What I meant was, so he has that revelation in the middle of executing this plan there must be a hidden room. So maybe he does something to draw them out or something like that. I mean, it definitely could be. I just, because we saw that information, I feel like if that was the case, we wouldn't have seen his thoughts at all. That's totally possible. And like I said, it just made me think, oh, I definitely want to read next week's issue to figure out, was that the case? Are Lucas and Hugo totally sacrificing themselves or are they going to manage to make it out? So one more note about you saying that Ray wasn't sure if the others, specifically Emma, were willing to kill or not. I did really like that moment. But at the end, Emma has a line that makes me think he might have been overthinking it and she's willing as well because she seems to be one of the ones that volunteers to stay behind and make sure they can't be followed. Yeah, Emma's kind of hard to read like that because sometimes she does seem like, and I could totally get even Ray thinks, oh, she's not the person who's going to be easily able to kill somebody and you might even get that read off of her. But then... She'll turn around and it's like, well, in order to save the kids, I need to do this. So she'll kind of step up to the moment. I did like that as well with Ray going like, I don't know that everyone can do this or even anyone else can do this. Versus the two adults are like, ah, we've done this before. (laughs) All right. Anything else to say about Promise Neverland? I really like this chapter. I thought it was okay. I didn't like it as much as I liked the one last week. It still ranked pretty high for me, though. Yeah. I like this one because it was more upbeat than the last one. It was the kids figuring out. All right, so we're using this information, and we're going to figure out a way to escape. And there's that bit of hope of like, oh, the kids made it out, but then Hugo and Lucas have to sacrifice themselves or seemingly sacrifice themselves to save Ray and Emma, which that was just a a really nice move on their part. So next we have One Piece, Chapter 920, For Love of Odin. We're going to be talking about One Piece a lot this episode, but... Yep, it's definitely interesting to go all the way back to the very beginning of One Piece and be like, man, it's been 900 chapters. Wow. Yeah, a long time. That was back in the 90s. That was before Phantom Menace came out. So here's where I discovered, I actually didn't discover it till later, but it made One Piece make some more sense. I read Shonen Jump on Comixology, and I should say, if you're interested in reading any of these stories, it's only 99 cents. Yep. 
So you should definitely check it out there. The Comixology version, the page was slightly off. Like you weren't getting the proper page layout. You were getting the second page and the first page of the page flip. And it made reading, like there was a bit in One Piece where I literally did not understand how to read the panels because I hadn't realized that yet. And I just got really confused. And there was a bit in Black Clover later, or um, actually Food Wars, there was a splash page later on that it was more clear. So I realized, oh, that's what's been going on this whole time. Mm -hmm. It really hurt this chapter of One Piece for me. This chapter of One Piece, I feel like there was a section where we're purposely not given part of the story. Okay, so it might have been that too. I wanted to ask if you felt the same way, because when I discovered that later, I was wondering if that was my problem with this chapter of One Piece. No, I I think what it was is it's the characters being informed, but not the reader. So we're just seeing their reactions? We're seeing their reactions, because it starts with, it was like, yeah, Lord Odin was great, and then there's character reactions, and then he's killed, for or he's brought up on criminal charges and executed. It's like, wait, what happened in the... What? He went from being this beloved lord to suddenly being executed. I'm super confused. And also between that and their reactions, we get the perspective of another character for two pages. Yeah. So I was wondering, because the thing he we leave off in the story is him opening up the ports because he felt that Wano was too crowded. Yep. And we know Wano is an isolationist country, so I wonder if he was murdered or, I guess, executed for that specifically. I was trying to figure out if that was supposed to be the implication. I think that's the implication because this Lord Orochi is implied to have murdered him. But it was like, I wanted to know, it seems like they were told why Lord Orochi gained the power to bring him up on criminal charges. Yeah, I'm nodding at Kevin because it definitely, we see the reactions and then we find out that he was executed. So Yeah, and you can see it was like people, because the first couple of character reactions are they're like happy. They're learning about, oh yeah, he was this great guy. And they're like, man, this guy sounds awesome. And then all of their faces start turning sour. And then it was like, and then he was brought up in criminal charges and executed. So I feel like that was them telling the characters the story and will be informed of it later. Yeah, it just read really, really weird to me. I had to read those pages like six or seven times because I had the exact same thing. I'm like, did I somehow miss a page? Am I reading the comic wrong? What's going on here? Yeah, so just one thing I want to say about One Piece real quick, since we're reading it later as well. One of the cool things the artist of it does is almost every arc, he changes everybody's clothes. And Luffy has like this pop culture cosplaying samurai. It looks really good with like a bit of straw in his mouth. Yeah, I do definitely like that he does that. I mean, it's a great way of showing growth. Like, these characters are changing because they're they're literally, their physical appearance is changing. Also, you gotta imagine he gets tired of drawing them in the same stuff Probably. all the time. Especially with how long One Piece arcs are now. Yeah. And no One Piece next week. That's sad. Yeah, this tends to happen, not a lot, but fairly consistently where he takes week-long breaks. It seems like it happens almost once a month. It's probably pretty close to that, and uh, I'm kind of glad he does it because I'd much rather have to wait an extra week but get good One Piece chapters than have him be worked to the bone and it start deteriorating. Yeah, just spoilers for when we talk about what uh, One Piece Volume 1 later on in this episode. The art in that is so much better than One Piece has been lately, in my opinion. I can see where you're coming with that. Uh, But that's just the reality of writing a manga every week for 920 weeks. Yep. Before we Uh, go on, I just wanted to mention the uh, time time fruit that Lord Odin's wife possessed. Oh, was it a fruit? I didn't even... Yeah, she mentioned it was a strange time time ability, which implies that it's a devil fruit power. I guess, yeah, ability does just mean devil fruit power in one piece. Yeah. I'm not used to reading it that way, but you're right. 
The, well, and their whole thing is if it's the same if it's the same word twice, it's a devil fruit. Yeah, that's true. I thought that was insane. Well, we found out last week that the samurai who have gotten Luffy as their ally for twenty years in the past. Yeah, I knew that, but it was like, oh yeah, it's a devil fruit ability. I was like, that sounds like an awesome <laughs> devil fruit ability. I mean, it's always a devil fruit ability, right? True. All, it seems like all she can do with it is go to the future. So, yeah, or at least that's all she did with it, which I guess is still pretty good. But yeah, that's not being made of lightning. No. All right. So next we have Hunter Hunter Chapter Three Hundred Eighty Three Escape. And you know how you were telling me this is a really bad place to jump on to Hunter Hunter? Yep. Last week, I didn't agree with you. This week, I don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, it's confusing, and I do know what's going on. This chapter starts with, quote, the very first Sunday banquet. Are they on a boat? Have they been on this boat this entire time, and I am just now realizing it? Yes. Or is it just these characters are on a boat? No, no, no. They're on a giant whale boat that has another boat inside of its blowhole, which is a lake. It's like they're on the Titanic to go to the new world or this new area. And so they've been on a boat the whole time. And there's starting of this banquet that's going to have entertainment. One of the princes isn't playing, but there's still a whole bunch of stuff going on. It's yep. going to start with a rap battle between a black guy and what I can only describe as Mustache Kuwabara, because it just looks like Kuwabara from Yu Yu Hakusho with a mustache. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty fair. He is a character that we've met before, but yeah, that's uh, Mustache Kuwabara is a very apt <laughs> description of him. I'm glad that Kuwabara got a career as a hunter after he graduated high school. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good career. Okay, almost all of my other notes are people are being cute, but I don't know what's going on. So there yeah. are these two girls. Are they both princes? Are pr is prince gender neutral? Prince in this case is gender neutral. The king, all of his heirs are princes, whether or not they're male or female. Right, so they just want to escape from the trial boat. Yep. So one of the musicians that is going to play has the power to enchant anyone who hears their music for as long as they're playing. So they're going to use that as a distraction while they listen to their iPods and try to escape? Yes. Is that correct? Okay, I did it. Yep, that is what's going on. They do mention briefly earlier about a plan. So they're like, all right, the plan is commencing, but they never explained what the plan was. Again, there's been hiatuses, so even I might not remember everything. Like, I honestly, I'll continue reading, and then once this arc is done, I'll probably go back to the beginning and read through the arc again to try and understand it. So are these characters we've seen before, these two female princes? Or? Yes. Okay. We've seen, at this point, we've seen all the princes, because they spent a lot of the beginning of this arc going through all the princes, because there's this, there's the big trial going on with the princes. So they've been slowly working their way, explaining, these are what the princes are like, and then they start explaining more and more about their spirit beasts, as we find out. All right, so have they been point-of-view characters before, or is this the first time that they basically are? And it's not even until, like, the end of this chapter. We've gotten brief bits of point-of-view. Hunter x Hunter doesn't tend to do too much focusing on, like, they'll give you some of their point-of-view of, like, a lot of different characters. Yeah, that's what I've gotten from the two chapters I've read, is it seems very scattered in that regard. Yeah, but yeah, those two specifically have been point-of-view before. So they're holding hands, and I don't know if it's supposed to be that Japanese young girl thing, if they're just close friends or romantic. It comes off as super romantic to me. Well, I mean, they are related, so I think that it's a bit of both. Uh, so they escape in, like, a pod? One of them has the ability to create tunnels and things, so they go through it, and, like, I don't really know what to describe what they get into. I was assuming it was, like, a lifeboat. It's like a floating conveyance. It's domed, though. It's got a cover because we see the exterior of it well yeah but this is also like a royal boat 
for a king. So I imagine the lifeboat probably looks fancy because they're like, well, what if it's raining? I don't want to get wet. Yeah. So they get on, they get out to sea, and then a whole bunch of hands show up and start trying to grab them. They don't even make it off the boat. One of them does, I thought. They're getting to the edge of the boat. Like I said, the boat is huge. So the boat has water in it because they're definitely on the water. What I gathered was they were in like a tunnel. So like they started on the boat and there was like a tunnel through the boat. And so they were getting to the edge of the boat and that's when all the hands showed up. So anyway, a bunch of hands show up to try and grab at them. I really should have written down these characters' names again, especially these girls. I don't remember but them either. One tells the other to use her tunnel power to escape and it explains that she can like basically control where the tunnel exits. Yeah. So she gets back to her room and is waiting for the other one to show up and she comes back in and says she'll never be alone again. But then we see that she died on the boat and we find out that her spirit beast will only appear when she dies, and it will exist to protect the other one forever. Yep. Well, and it turned out that even if the black-haired one had died, it would have transformed into her and protected... The other one? The other one. Again, I don't remember her name, but like its ability was that the two of them were fated, so if one of them died, it would assume their form and protect them until the other one died. Yep. So, Hunter Hunter is weird, guys. Hunter Hunter is super weird. This is a super weird arc. Most of the Karapika arcs have been very intellectual, very weird. Gon is more of a Goku character of like, I'm going to train and beat the guys versus Karapika is more of a intellectual type. He has to think through his battles. So this has been a very cerebral arc and it's getting really confusing. Yeah, I think I would like it if I knew what was going on, but I don't know if anyone knows what's going on. Maybe I should check out the Hunter Hunter Reddit. It's possible, like I said, because of there has been two hiatuses during the middle of this arc, and I haven't gone back like I probably should have. I tend to get lost and like, wait, have I met that guy before? Or he seems vaguely familiar. Have they explained stuff? It becomes very confusing. All right, so next we have We Never Learn, question 82. Sometimes a detained predecessor struggles with the immediate X. Does every chapter title have an X in it? Do you usually pay attention to the chapter titles? I don't usually pay attention to the chapter titles, but I think they might. Yeah, the X is weird. It's in brackets, and I'm not sure if it's actually supposed to be read. Like with the other one, it was a math thing, so it. And this might this might still be a math thing, trying to find the intermediate X, like X as a value. That might be what they're going for. Anyway, it's a weird Japanese title. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I didn't like this chapter nearly as much as I liked the last one. Yugiya is with his teacher, whose name I should have written down. She's not a teacher because he calls her senpai, okay, so not she's sensei. She's an upper Yes. Um, I thought I saw her call him call her sensei at one point. No, it's always, it's always senpai. Um, okay. She is an alumni from the high school that he's going to, but they've been going to the same college crass course thing because like when she graduated high school she didn't immediately try to look into college so they're both taking like a college prep course all right and that's where this takes place no that's just where they met she works at a maid cafe i got that's where this takes so that's why she's dressed up as a maid yeah she works at a maid cafe and they're that's the implication is that she got stuck with cleaning duty for it so she's there before everyone else and she has roped in yugiya to help her clean this happens to yugiha a lot because apparently he's pretty good at cleaning so he tends to get stuck with the cleaning duties. So like every other girl in this series, apparently, she's totally into him and is teasing him about it. Uh, while they start cleaning up, he does not seem to be as into her. Well, yeah, it's more of that. It's that senpai kohai relationship. He doesn't see himself as equal to her. So he's kind of interested in her, but it's kind of like she's unattainable 
So they're cleaning up. They decide to go clean one of the bathrooms, but then a broom falls and blocks the way so they can't get out. Yep. So they're stuck in the bathroom together and people are going to come up. So the older girl suggests they just study to pass the time. Yep. Her name is Asumi. There we go. You wrote it down and you didn't tell me. You were holding out on me, Kevin. You what? jerk. I, I thought I told you I did write it down. I said I should write it down and you didn't jump in to save me. Oh, sorry. Anyway. So anyway, they're in there. They're studying. They're doing physics equations, but she has to go to the bathroom. And so the joke is she doesn't want him to see. She's like, there has to be a way out of here. They try to go through the vents, but there are rats who are drawn very cutely, but she's terrified yeah. of them. Yeah. That's shown earlier that she doesn't like rodents because I don't remember exactly what why we were introduced to that. This manga is very episodic. So I did like the fact that the, I thought it was a mouse. It might've been a rat was super cute. And then it also had like mouse parents that were like, oh no, what happened? It was pretty great. So anyway, she eventually just tells him to, to turn around and cover his ears while she poops. But of course that's right when someone else comes in and they get berated. Yeah. So she is uh, getting ready to sit down while he is sitting there. And I'm assuming it's one of the owners of that cafe or one of the, like the managers it's like, this isn't that kind of place, which is a totally Japanese thing to say that those places actually exist. But yeah, I did kind of like this chapter. It wasn't my favorite of We Never Learn, but I know a bit more about Asumi. So it was fun. I liked the reference to chapter 40 with being in enclosed spaces and being hit on by older women. Yeah, I didn't dislike this one exactly. It's just I really liked the last chapter. So I think my expectations were pretty high and yeah. this didn't quite meet them. This one required more knowledge of the characters to get some of the stuff than last week's, I think. All right. So that brings us to another manga I have never read before. Seraph of the End, Chapter 72, Hiragi in a Cage. So the only thing I know about this is that Zach, my other podcasting partner, watches the anime. Who boy. To be fair, I don't know what's going on with this one either. I've been catching up on Seraph of the End, but I'm not totally caught up yet. And I'm still confused as to what's going on. So you weren't the only person who was like, I, I don't know what's going on here. I actually kind of like this chapter. The first half is this scythe, like being a demon and trying to make a deal with this girl who wields it. Do you have her name? I think I actually wrote it down. No, I didn't. I'm terrible at this. I remember her last name's Haragi. Yes, but she also has a brother and yes. an older sister. Is her older sister dead? I could not read. Yes, her okay. older sister is dead. That's what I thought, but then there was one panel where it looked like she showed up, and I was very confused. I think that was purposeful. I think it might have been like one dude's hallucination or a manifestation of a spirit, but her older sister is dead. So anyway, her scythe is trying to get her to like open up to it, but yep. she's afraid the scythe will possess her. But he's like, nah, I just want to help you. Besides, your walls are, around your heart are so tall. And she keeps trying to pretend that she's not interested in the things he's offering, which is mostly knowledge. The way I read it, I don't know any of the characters' names, so I'm not entirely sure, is that he offered a way for her to help the protagonist. Yeah, that was the second one. So the first one he offered was, I think it was like her fiancé or something like that. I Again, I'm kind of out of the loop. I know some of what's going on, but I was very confused by a lot of this. I'm like, I... This is a horrible chapter to jump in on. Like, I don't know. I, I know all of these characters and I don't know what's going on. But uh, he later does offer to help the protagonist become human again. Yeah. So I have a question because you've been catching up. How do vampires work in this world? Are they just like vampires or are they very weird anime vampires? Or They're very weird anime vampires. So there's like vampire royalty. Um, of course. 
Yeah, well, it's kind of like a bloodline thing. So, like, the vampire royalty are, like, the oldest vampires. They have the ability to turn people into vampires. Lower-ranking vampires don't. So, most of the time, they just end up killing all of their cattle. I don't know that they're actually allergic to sunlight in this, but they do drink blood, and they're super strong. Some of them have, like, magical abilities. They're very weird anime vampires. The scythe isn't a vampire, right? No, the scythe is a demon. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure that demons weren't vampires in this setting. No, demon weapons. So the, like, the scythe is one of the demon weapons the humans created to fight the vampires. Gotcha. Because a regular human can't even injure most vampires with like a sword. You need a special demon weapon in order to cause damage to them because they'll regenerate so fast. All right. So then after the scythe is done making a deal, we cut to her waking up in the hospital. And at first I thought it was a dream, but it seems like she just passed out from scythe talking. So she went inside herself or inside the scythe to talk to it. So I don't... that was the end of the last chapter, I assume, and not no, a the... thing that happened in this one, or did I just miss it? Right at the start, she's talking to her brother, and then she he says something that gets her to think, I need to talk to the demon okay. scythe, and she does it. I missed that. Yeah, because one of the characters mentions, you fainted right in front of your brother. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So then the chapter ends with some vampires who have tied themselves up walking in and basically saying, hey, you're doing experiments to cure vampires, right? We want to be cured. So the guy in black is actually the main character. Gotcha. Is he a vampire? No. (laughs) I'm I'm trying not to give too much away. So no, he is also not human. Gotcha. I thought it was a pretty good cliffhanger, so... Yeah, that was a good cliffhanger. I was just confused by this chapter. Again, like I've said, I've been reading the manga. I'm not totally caught up. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I know who all these characters are, but I'm really confused what's going on right now. So this was definitely one of the chapters that I liked the least, even though I liked all of the chapters. All right. So next we have Food Wars chapter 228, the place called Yukihira. I don't know why it's called that. Is that the beach they're at? No, that's Or is it. that his dad's restaurant? Yeah, the family okay, that restaurant. Makes yep. That makes a lot of sense. I just didn't track that. So as we saw at the end of the last chapter, Soma's dad is here looking for him. And so this entire chapter is basically just the two of them talking and having a little bit of a heart to heart. Yep. Soma's dad has brought him an invitation to the blue, which we talked about last week is the big chef competition. And Soma makes his dad tell him about the one guy whose name I did write down. Ayashi Saiba, who is the villain of at least the current arc. Yeah. And that all happens off screen because we basically got that explanation last week. Yep. This chapter was really just, it's kind of a setup for the next arc. So clearly the blue is going to be the next arc. So there's going to be a training portion and then the actual competition. The heart of it is Soma's dad being like, hey, do you still want to even bother taking over my restaurant? Because now you're like the head of the student council and you're so much better than I was when I went to school. So yeah. So the emotional heart of this chapter actually really worked for me. I don't know what Soma and his dad's relationship normally is, but I had assumed it was kind of the aloof anime parent thing. Yeah, that's definitely been the case of his dad was constantly challenged by Soma in cooking competitions. He's always there, but not really helping him out. Kind of the you learn by doing parent. So it was really cool to see him kind of be like, hey, you did it. You're better than me because I never got any of this. And Soma's like, no, your restaurant isn't a hole in the wall to me. I'm going to make it great. Yep. So it was pretty brief. Not a lot happened plot-wise, but it really worked for me. I really like Food Wars, the two chapters I've read of it. Yeah. I liked this chapter because it wasn't just that he was saying, he was saying Yukihira isn't just a hole in the wall. Uh, It's the greatest restaurant on the planet. 
And in order for me to work there, I need to be the greatest chef on the planet. So that's his new goal. Because initially his goal was to work at his dad's restaurant, which his dad said, you have to go to this Totsuki Academy in order to do that. And so now that he's there and he's the first seat, he's like, well, now I have to be the greatest chef in order to show you that Yukihira is the best restaurant in the world. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, this was a really good chapter. Even with it just being kind of the transition into the next arc, this was a pretty good ending to it. I especially like Soma's goal modifying and changing. So he still has this overarching goal of, I want to become the greatest chef. But it used to just be, I want to work at my dad's restaurant, which I know sounds like a pretty lame goal. It's a more personal goal. I almost like that one more. This is a natural kind of expansion of it. Yeah. But that one has a nice personal touch to it. Yeah. And I think part of why I like this chapter is he's like achieved his goal. And it's not enough for him. It's very similar to the part in Naruto where Naruto realizes that he always wanted to be Hokage because the Hokage is respected, but suddenly everyone respects him now. Yeah, but he still wants to be Hokage. Yeah. This is more of an evolution of his goal. Like, he still wants to work at his dad's restaurant. He just realizes, he wants I don't just have to be the best. Yeah, I don't just have to graduate in order to work at my dad's restaurant. I have to become the best chef ever to be worthy of working at my dad's restaurant. So next we have Black Clover, Chapter 176, Siblings. I'm still having a hard time grasping Black Clover. I did like this chapter more because I have more context, but a lot of the art seems really hard to follow for me. And I'm not sure if that's the artist or if it's just because the protagonists of this little part of the story use all water magic and it just looks really fluid and that, hard to read. That is a lot of it. So the girl, Noelle, uses water magic. Her older brother uses like mercury magic. That's the other thing is I was like, is it water? I thought it was mercury last time. Yeah, so his is like mercury magic. So this was one of the things that came off way better in the anime is because you could show color. Yeah, so like they, they clearly look different in the anime. But it's because we know the characters that I can tell the differences of the artist trying to show mercury versus water versus other things. So I like, oh, yeah, he's got water magic. He's got fire magic, whatever the case may be. So I think that's just your problem of having trouble figuring out the magic is you don't have the previous knowledge of what these guys magic is. But at least in this one, I could read who the villains are and who the good guys were. Yeah. Because the character designs are pretty distinct. Yep. So the villain has like trapped all the magic in the room, basically. Is is that's my understanding of the yeah. power works? She has compass magic. So she like she trapped all the magic in the room so that it could never hit her. And like essentially she made it so that if you tried to like launch a spell at her, so like I tried to throw a ball at you, it would miss. Because compasses, they haven't really explained her magic all that well. But that was the idea was like, we can't launch attacks against her. And all of her attacks unerringly hit us because she controls like all the directions in the room or something like that. So Noelle just fills the room with water. Is that a thing she's done before? Because it seems to be implied that this was a flaw that she's turning into a strength. Yeah. So she mentioned the rampaging spell. So she's had a ton of magical power. So at one point she actually makes this like giant ball of water that she has no control over. And so that was her idea of, oh, well, if I can't hit her, I just have to hit everything. Yeah, and because the room, the like, compass, it's trapped in there, and she's going to drown unless she releases it. Yep. And I can't really tell what happens the moment she does, but everyone's like, hey, good job, Nozzle, you did a thing. So I guess he did a thing? So Noelle got her to drop the thing, and then her brother like hit her in the head with a band of his mercury, I think, was what happened. Okay. So like he managed to hit her with one of his attacks, and he thought he had taken her out, which is why they started monologuing as if the fight was over. But she's fine. 
and she brings up another stronger compass room. She just makes it bigger. Like she mentions, I just need to make it bigger so that she can't, because like she had made it the size of the room so that the reason the whole water trick worked was that it was all stuck inside the room. Now that she's made it bigger than the room, it can flow out. It can flow out. And she's like, that same trick won't work again. So Noelle decides because she heard her brother saying that like if he was closer, it would be able to work. That she's just going to try a close range spell and she like coats herself in water armor and makes a water lance. Yeah. Is that a thing she's done before? No. So this is a brand new spell. Um, and this has happened in the series before that people will learn new spells through interesting ideas of where to take their magic. So this is a new spell for her. It did have that nice shonen table turning feel to it. The note I wrote down was, I wish I knew more about this girl so I could tell if I cared or not. I thought it was a really cool beat because I think she also noticed inside this room, I can control magic really close to me. But as soon as I try and send it away, it starts going any which way but the way I want. So she thought, oh, well, the best way to do it is to go close combat, which is a very Asta thing to do. So yeah. Most of the beat still worked for me, even though yeah. I wasn't clear on everything that was going on. I just wish the art was a little more clear, really. Yeah. There was one great panel where she's talking about, oh, I can't believe my brother's being defeated by this. How would the Black Bulls do this? Oh, they would probably try some stupid plan that would totally end up working. Is that Asta's group, the Black Bulls? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she's actually a part of it, too. The Black Bulls are like, so there's the various night houses, essentially. The Black Bulls are all the rejects and misfits that pass the Magic Knight selection. Uh, so that they're it, Gryffindor. Well, no, because Gryffindor is respected. Gryffindor people, I know. Yeah, I was like, Gryffindor is respected. I can't really think of an analogy, but they're the, it's like this one guy collected all the misfits who are, you know, secretly strong. They just unconventional. And so that's why she goes, how would the Black Bulls do this? Oh, they would try some stupid plan and it end up totally working because the normal plans don't. All right. So last but not least, I guess, is my hero next? Yeah, My Hero uh, was after Black Clover. What did you think of My Hero? Again, super broad. You really liked it, right? I did really like it. So like I said last week, a competition has been going on. And so this was an end of one of the rounds in this chapter. And it was a very good ending of the round. So after that, the magazine closes out with Blue Exorcist. I didn't write the chapter down. This is the only one I didn't write the chapter down for. It was 102, I think. Sure. It was definitely in the hundreds because I was like, oh, this has been going for a while. Yep. Uh, This is the one that confused the hell out of me. Yeah, I could see that. This is the only one in this magazine that I hadn't heard anything about at all, other than the ones that I just found out about last week. So the main character swore to defeat Satan. That's what I got from the last time. Yes. And he has to go to exorcist school to beat Satan. Yes. And also, wherever they are, I don't know if it's a school or an institution, but it's just to treat Lucifer, who is probably not Satan. No, he is. Oh, he is in this? Okay. I was assuming there might be two different people in this. Nope. Uh, Lucifer is Satan. Okay. And basically all my notes are, I do not know what's going on. Yeah, it'd be super confusing. There's time travel involved right now, and it's been going on for a while. Yeah, they so. keep mentioning it nine years ago, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so the main character is currently traveling into the past to figure out stuff. So that's what's going on. So I actually really like this chapter. There's a bunch of cool revelations been going on. But if you have no idea what's going on, again, this is a very bad chapter to jump in on. This is a very bad arc to jump in on, honestly. I don't know if it's near the end of the run, but it's definitely getting near the end. Blue Exorcist has always had a lot of intrigue to it. So if you've been missing out on the intrigue bits, you'll just be super confused. Yeah, I was definitely just super confused this entire time. Yeah. Could not like parse anything. The one thing I will say is pretty cool is that all the panel borders in this are black, which does give it a nice pop. Yep. 
I do like the art in Blue Exorcist. I initially got onto Blue Exorcist through the anime. And then the anime, because it had been one of the early adaptations, did the thing where they caught up to the manga and then decided to take it a different route. So then I started reading the manga because like the anime just ends. And I was like, oh, well, the, the manga is still going. So I should figure out, you know, how this story continues. Anything else you want to say about Blue Exorcist? The one thing that you probably took is, oh, the main character is all about fighting Satan. Why are these humans helping Satan then? I, like I said, I thought Lucifer and Satan were probably different people. Okay, I could see that. So I was just like, who's this Lucifer guy then? Is he Satan's bro? Is he going to be Satan in the future via time travel? This guy is a clone of this other guy, huh? Yeah, again, there's been a lot of weird revelations, and it would just be like some of the earlier chapters would probably be easier to jump in on. This is not one of them. (laughs) Yeah, I just found myself very confused. Yeah. All right, so with that, it's time for us to rank the chapters from worst to best. This is the jump card segment. All right. We want to start with you, Kevin. I didn't read My Hero Academia, so I did not rank it. Because of that, what I did is I also ranked all of mine one through nine. And then I have kind of an asterisk where I would put My Hero Academia. So I'll mention that when we get to it. But my number nine was Seraph of the End. I was just super confused by this chapter. Even having read some of the manga, I had no idea what was going on. I was very confused how these characters got into these situations. And so it just ended up being, because I was confused, this was one of the chapters that I liked the least, even though I felt this issue of Shonen Jump was very strong. I actually felt the issue as a whole was kind of weak, at least compared to last week. But my number nine is Blue Exorcist for basically the same reasons. I was just completely lost yeah. at every moment in Blue Exorcist. And unlike the other series, when I've been lost, I like didn't want to find out what was going on. Like with Black Clover, I give it a lot of crap, but I am kind of interested in finding out more about Noel in particular. Yep. This one, there was nothing for me to even grasp onto and even be like, okay, what's going on with this? I want to know. Yeah. I mean, I had the what's going on with this, I want to know, but that's because I had been reading previous chapters. So I'm like, I have to get caught up before this next, the next chapter of Seraph of the End shows up so that I know what's happening. <laughs> what do you have at number eight, Kevin? Uh, so my number eight was Blue Exorcist. While there were some pretty cool beats, they've been throwing a lot of information at us in these last couple of chapters and it's just been kind of a almost information overload. So I'm just not into it as much as I was with the earlier chapters. I'm not going to suddenly stop reading even if I didn't have to read it for this podcast, but it was one of my least favorite off of this issue. My number eight is Hunter Hunter because a lot of the confusion, the more I thought about Hunter Hunter, the more I actually liked it. I might've even moved it up a spot if I had done this list, not as I was reading them, but It was just very confusing. The hands like coming out of nowhere was weird. The whole setup was weird. And these two girls I've never heard of, it was hard to get a read on their relationship. I do like the kind of twist at the end, though. It might even actually have taken over and been my number seven. But at the time, I found it real confusing. And Yeah, and I can understand that. This has definitely been a very confusing arc, to say the least. And Hunter Hunter does tend to get very cerebral with its Nen abilities of... You know, it's not about how strong you are. It's like how you use your strength. That's one of the main villains. Big thing. His abilities aren't super flashy, 
but they're perfectly suited to him and he uses them in very interesting ways. So my number seven was Hunter Hunter. It's not that I don't like cerebral manga. It just put it at the bottom because there's a lot of, wait, do I know this character? Yes, I do. Oh, wait, what was that character's name again? Who's that guy? Like they keep showing people and I feel like if this had been coming out week to week and I've been catching up on it pretty regularly, I would have a much better idea of what was going on versus like I had to take a three month break during the beginning of the arc and then like another three month break because of the hiatuses, which I know aren't you know, there's nothing they can do about it, but it's just something that maybe at some point I need to sit back down, go back through this arc from start to catching up and just get a bead on what is going on. So at number seven, I put Dr. Stone. I do like bits of Dr. Stone, but a lot of times, like I keep saying, the art is hard for me to read. I had a bit of trouble telling who I was supposed to root for and who I wasn't. And that's on me being a new reader rather than the art itself, I think. Yeah. But it took away from my enjoyment. And I find this guy is really on the nose. This is two weeks in a row where there were these cool moments that is the stuff I love in anime and manga of this type, but it just felt really on the nose to me. And I don't know if that's because I'm getting older and I've seen more of this stuff or... It could be a bit of that. I also do feel that this is kind of on the nose, but maybe it doesn't bother me as much as it does you. And that could just be a taste thing of, I don't mind when people are on the nose. So my number six was Dr. Stone. This has been a very similar ranking list for us. This was kind of a transitory chapter of was like we just had this final battle now we're going to have to figure out a way to defeat Sukasa and his empire of strength and so there were some cool things i liked the hey here's how you make the paper airplane here's some hints on how to make nitroglycerin p.s i didn't include all the things to make nitroglycerin because that would be totally irresponsible i don't know exactly why i ranked it here as it was just kind of a gut feeling of all right dr stone goes here it was the first thing in the book, so naturally with my ranking, everything was kind of ranked against it, and very few things didn't go above it, I guess. So I ranked all of mine after I had finished the entire issue, which it sounds like you started ranking yours yeah, as you were going through. I do through. it as I go, and then I make adjustments at the end. Gotcha. I read through the whole thing and then make my ranking that way. So yeah. my number six was We Never Learn. Like I said, I really liked last week. It was number two for me there, but this one just didn't impress me in the same way. The jokes and gags didn't work quite as well. It was kind of a pretty typical romantic comedy setup. And because I didn't really know this character he was with, it didn't do a lot for me. Yeah. The mice were really cute, though. Yeah, I like them. So my number five was Food Wars. I do still really like Food Wars, but because this was kind of a setup chapter, like I liked the beats, it just ended up being my number five because not a whole lot was happening. It was just kind of like, all right, here's the here's what's going to be happening in the next arc which is cool, but it just didn't grab me as much as some of the other chapters did. My number five is Black Clover. I pretty much made my thoughts known on Black Clover. Like I said, the kind of emotional beats ended up pretty much working for me. Mm -hmm. I did get that feeling of, oh, this is going to be cool at the end, but I really wish I had more on Noel, more backstory and stuff. And the reason it really ranks so low is it's real hard to tell the difference between her magic and nozzles. Yeah. And it's just real hard to read the magic sometimes. Yeah, I could see that. So my number four was Black Clover. I do really like these side characters, but we're also on the side characters right now. I do like this little arc. This made it into my top four, but it wasn't one of my favorite chapters. I have a hard time ranking these sometimes because I'm like, well, I liked all of these. Like sometimes there's clear ones where uh, these seemed confusing. I'll put them down at the bottom, which is what happened this week. And then it was like, all right, so now I have one to seven to go and I have to come up with a ranking system, so I I guess we'll do it this way. And so that's where Black Clover fell for me. 
My number four is One Piece, the same spot it was in last week, even though I don't think this chapter was as good as last week's, just because of that real confusing bit in the middle where it's yeah. real hard to read what's going on. But the art, as always, is pretty good, and the like plot revelations, even though they're pretty standard, are good, and it only took up one chapter to explain all this, which is nice. Yeah. So my number three was We Never Learn. I liked this chapter of We Never Learn. I like the goofy romantic comedy thing, the hints at other chapters. I know these characters' interactions a bit more, so it's pretty interesting seeing them interact. I definitely like reading We Never Learn just because it feels different than almost everything else in Shonen Jump. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air when I get to it of like, all right, here's another We Never Learn chapter. And I kind of take a break from the Shonen action manga to this romantic comedy thing. My number three is Seraph of the End, even though I found it pretty confusing. I really like the first half with all the deal with the devil stuff, talking between the scythe and Higari. Yep. The second half was just confusing and it didn't do nearly as much for me. But the first half made me want to figure out what was going on and get a little bit into this series. So Yeah, I get you there. Like I said, I'm going to work at getting all the way caught up for next week's so that I'll know what's going on. So my number two was One Piece. I always like One Piece. Even if the chapters, uh, compared to last week's chapter, might not have been as good, I still just always tend to enjoy this. I liked the revelation about the Time Time Fruit from uh, Momosuke's? Mom. Yeah, Momosuke. Yep. Momonosuke. Momonosuke. I like the idea that this Lord Odin was this really cool guy and then got tried into a criminal. And even though it was confusing at first after I went back through it, I was like, okay, so they're explaining it to Luffy and his friends, and we're going to learn it at some other point, probably when they're confronting Lord Orochi is what my guess is, what he did to this Lord Odin in order to get him tried as a criminal and executed. I also liked the little flashbacks into how all the samurai got separated because they all woke up 20 years later, and then somehow they all got separated and we've been meeting them slowly as we had progressed towards Wano. So that was kind of cool seeing that all go back of like, oh, so that's how this guy ended up here, this guy ended up here. And it was mainly because they're samurai, not pirates, so they don't know how to sail. So it was almost all shipwrecks that got them separated. All right. So my number two is The Promised Neverland. I didn't like this chapter as much as last week. Like I said, it felt a little deus ex machina, but I kind of trusted this, that that was set up and I just hadn't seen it. And hearing it from Kevin really makes me cement this number two spot for it. I did like it. And I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Are we going to follow the kids? Are we going to follow the two adults? Are the two adults going to be off screen for a hundred chapters and then it's going to be revealed they made it out? And the bit with Emma, where like I find I really like that character, even though I haven't seen her done much yet. I like Ray. I like Emma. I like the main kids. So Promise Neverland was my number one through process of elimination. It was actually, I just really liked this chapter because it was, it was an upbeat from the downbeat. It was the kids using their brains to figure out a solution to the problem. Even though this one was a bit more given to them than normal, there was still a setup of like, oh yeah, by the way, I managed to get a walkie-talkie. It was like, oh, well, Lucas took out the guard in the, took out one of the guards in the house. And so that's how we got this walkie-talkie. So this definitely, for me, this was the story that I liked the most out of the the issue. Again, like I said, I had a hard time ranking most of these ones. Uh, it just ends up being difficult for me to rank what I liked. I get you. 
My number one is Food Wars. It was a clear number one to me. It's the only chapter I really, really enjoyed. Not that the others of these were a slog, but I saw like some flaw and felt like some disappointment in everything besides Food Wars, mm-hmm. which even though it was a slow chapter, I feel like the emotional beats were there, even though I don't know Soma and his father's past. I yeah. could kind of feel it despite all that. And even his friends whose names I don't know, like kind of eavesdropping in the background just added to that. Yeah. So for two weeks in a row, Food Wars is very much my favorite series in Shonen Jump right now. And then uh, My Hero Academia, for me, goes at the top of the list because I do really like that manga. And this had some really, really cool stuff happening. Okay. So speaking of some really cool stuff, we are going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about volume one of Ichiro Odai's One Piece. And we're back to talk about One Piece, Volume yeah. 1. I, I always want these to have titles like American comic book collections do. Yeah, I can understand that. But I also understand, oh, we'll just leave it as Volume 1, kind of easier. Yeah, because this is all one ongoing story, whereas American comics usually are divided into clearer stories. Yep. So we've been reading One Piece the last two weeks in its current form, where it's the longest running manga, not of all time. Not even the longest running in Shonen Jump, but it's been running for a very long time, and it's been many different things. So I guess I'll start with the same question as last time. Kevin, did you enjoy reading this volume of One Piece? I did enjoy reading this volume of One Piece. I actually really enjoyed it, too. I've read it before, but it's been a very long time, and I'm way more familiar with the way the anime handled this material, which is pretty similar, to be fair. But it's different enough. Yeah, I've never read it in its like a collected volume format but I have read all of One Piece. So for me, it was, I guess, revisiting the first few chapters, but I did enjoy reading this. Yeah, some of the art, it looks, like I said earlier, a lot better to me than current One Piece does. The way he uses speed lines in particular, it might be a little excessive, but they add a lot of energy to, especially the fight scenes. Yeah, I can see that. And just some of the shading, it just looks really good to me. Yeah, I feel like... His earlier designs are a lot more simplistic, so it's easier to jump into than the current arc. There's a lot more going on with some of the character designs. Like, there's a lot more on the page, I feel. It also just looks muddier to me, and I don't know. Well, and that's it could just be because there's a lot more going on in the page than some of these early ones where there's a lot of not quite empty space, but assumed empty space. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Black Clover has the same feeling to me. Yeah. But with Black Clover, it's clearly because there's so much going on to me. Yeah. I really enjoyed this even more than I thought I was going to. And One Piece is one of my favorite series, so I was expecting to enjoy it. I'm really excited to eventually read Volume 2. But yeah, before we talk about that, we got to talk about this volume, which starts kind of oddly enough with Luffy's origin story. In the anime, they actually push this to later. There's a later episode where Luffy and Zoro just tell each other their origin story. Not too much later. Yeah. But 
it's interesting that they just started with that. And I think it's a good move because the second chapter doesn't start nearly as engaging, I think. I feel that way too. So I like the start with the origin story. It's nice to not have, and I mean, it had been doing this before movies were doing it, where the origin story would be like a prequel or a separate chapter later on down the road. Wouldn't you like to know how this guy got his start? It's kind of nice to just be like, all right, so here's young Luffy and here's why he wants to be a pirate. I mean, even Batman doesn't start with an origin story if you're looking at the original Batman comics. Yeah. So. The other thing I appreciate about it is there's a formula to One Piece arcs that you kind of get if you're watching them all or reading them all, which involves the Straw Hats coming to a place, discovering there's a corrupt authority figure, meeting someone sympathetic that they want to help and helping them out. Yep. Oftentimes they join the crew, but not always. It's really interesting that Luffy's story arc is basically that, but he's the sympathetic character in the town as yeah. opposed to being the heroes. His heroes are Shanks and his gang of pirates. And so it's interesting that Luffy has really slotted into his role models like Spot. He wants to be like the guy he admires. So, Yeah, it's just interesting that we get to see like Luffy starts out as one of the characters that Luffy would have met in any other arc. And that's not yep. something I'd realized until I went back and reread it for this podcast. Yeah, I can I can see what you're saying there. So the story starts out with Luffy as a young boy, not his final character design. By the end of the first chapter, which is a full 60 pages, so that's pretty long. He is in like the way you imagine Luffy looks, if you're familiar with One Piece. But he starts yep. out as this kind of whiny kid bragging about how his punch is as strong as a pistol and how he wants to be a pirate one day because Shanks and his crew use... Luffy's hometown as a base where they spend all their money when they're done pirating. Also, I'm pretty sure this was the first chapter. Luffy cuts underneath his own eye to prove how tough he can be to become one of Shanks's pirates. Yeah, and they call him an idiot for doing that because it's a dumb thing to do, but that scar is a permanent part of Luffy's character design. Yep, there's also a bunch of more stuff going on with the scars later on in One Piece in general. I think all of Luffy's family have a scar under their left eye. That or does sound like something he would have done. It's interesting to me both how much the first chapter like seems to lay out a whole bunch of stuff that's going to come later, but also stuff that it seems like he decided later on. In particular with the gum gum fruit, the first couple of chapters, it really feels like he thought that was the only thing like that, it's at least to me. By the end of this volume, he's clearly established there are other devil fruit and they yep. can give you different powers. But in the second chapter, for example, Kobe's like, oh, you must have eaten the fruit of the gum gum tree. Which no. he somehow knows what it is, even though he's like some kid from a village. Yeah, and that's sort of terminology that's not used with any of the other devil fruits. So it seems to me like it wasn't until maybe later that he decided there would be a bunch of people like this. And if you don't know, the deal with Luffy's power is he ate a cursed devil fruit, which took away his ability to swim. If he's ever in water, he will just immediately sink. He's not even buoyant. But in exchange, he is made of rubber, so electricity won't hurt him. Bullets bounce right off him. You can't really punch him because it will just bounce off. Yeah, he's kind of just immune to any like blunt physical attack. And he can stretch out his arms and legs and other limbs to attack. Yep. But in exchange, he can't swim. And Stank's crew is making fun of him, like, who ever heard of a pirate that can't swim? And if you're familiar with where the series is now, most of the most powerful pirates in this world cannot swim. Yep. Well, to be fair, he couldn't swim before eating the fruit. Like, they were making fun of the fact that he didn't know how to swim before eating the fruit. And then he was like, 
well, I'll learn how to swim before you come back the next time. And that's when they find out that he has eaten the fruit. And it's like, you'll never be able to swim ever again. Backing up just a little bit, the first page of Dragon Ball, we see Goku on a log like you talked about with that big saw. Yep. The first page of One Piece, we don't actually see any of the characters of One Piece. The first page is all world building. Yep. We see the character Gold Roger, who is a the most powerful pirate in the world. And it's his execution where he tells everyone, hey, if you want all my treasure, I left it all at that place, so you have to go get it. And yep. spark the great pirate revolution. One Piece does a lot to world build early on, and yeah. that's clearly a concern for it, which is something I really like in contrast to Dragon Ball. And like I said, there's a lot that he set up here that's very clear, to me at least. Yep. He had planned later, or if not, he's very good at tying his new ideas in with his old ideas to make it seem like that's the case. Yep. One thing I do want to know is when it switched from Gold Roger to Gold D Roger. My understanding, at least from my memory, the first person to mention that is Chopper's mother figure, whose name I can't think of right now. Yeah, and so I just I wonder if that was... Always in the plan. Always or- in the plan, or if he just made this decision, hey, I'm going to do this. Oh, perfect. I can already, like, I don't have to make him gold D. Roger. I can make him just gold D. Roger. I think that was always planned just because one of the first questions in, like, his FAQs was, what does the D in Luffy's name stand for? And he was always very coy about, that's important to the story, and we'll find out later. It doesn't stand for anything, but... Anyway, Luffy is enamored with these pirates until one day some mountain bandits come in the bar... And they basically are like, hey, give us all the booze. But the owner's like, oh, I'm sorry, I sold it to all these pirates. And Shanks is like, hey, sorry, you can have this last unopened bottle. And the bandit macks it over Shanks, and he offers to clean up. And so the bandits, to make fun of him, break a whole bunch of stuff and tell him, ha, you'll be a good maid and clean that. And it pisses off Luffy that Shanks doesn't fight him or stand up for himself. And Shanks is very much like, hey, you'll understand fighting's not the most important thing. And Yeah, he's sometimes- like, oh, it was just booze. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but this incenses Luffy. So the next time that Shanks is out on a pirate adventure and the bandits come back making fun of him, Luffy attacks them. Shanks and his crew come back just in time to see the bandits about to publicly execute him for attacking them. Well, at first he was mentioning that he was going to sell him because he was a uh- made of rubber and he's like i can sell you to some freak show yeah but then luffy punches him and he's like well yeah you have to die i think that's when i can't remember if that's when shanks was actually there i believe it is okay uh but anyway shanks is basically like hey you can spill booze on me all you want that's fine but don't threaten my friend's life yep and shanks makes fun of luffy all the time like we said earlier i was like what kind of pirate are you you can't even swim and so that's like a huge like revelation to luffy that He's not just being mean. It almost felt like that was the first time Shanks ever called him his friend. Yeah, exactly. So he Luffy finally realizes Shanks actually respects me, or at least likes me enough to call me his friend, and all of his jibing and harassing me was just trying to push me to better myself. Or yeah. at least he gets the very first inkling of that. Yeah, so the mountain bandit escapes with Luffy out to sea, because no one would look for a mountain bandit out at the sea. I mean, to be fair, that that's a pretty good assumption. It like, is, but it's also a very funny sentence to read. Yes. And he throws Luffy into the sea to drown him because he can't swim. But a sea monster shows up to eat him, and Shanks saves him at the cost of his own arm. Well, at first it eats the mountain bandit. Well, yes, because he gets his comeuppance. But, and Shanks just glares at the monster, which makes it go away. And Luke, Shanks says his arm is a small price to pay. 
Well, so at first we don't know the arm has been taken, so we just see the monster uh, dive at the two of them. Shanks glares at it, it leaves away, and Luffy is crying. And then in the next panel is when we see that his arm is missing and it's dripping blood when Luffy exclaims, but what about your arm? He's like, ah, it's a small price to pay. Yeah, it seems weird that Shanks would lose an arm doing this when you consider his current power level, but this might have been before that. This might have been before that, but this leads to a lot of questions of knowing Shanks' character. It was like, was he one of the emperors during this time? Yeah, that is a good question. I don't think so, because I don't think he's gone to the Grand Line yet. But specifically, it's been said, if you're familiar with modern One Piece, there's the power of hockey and like Conqueror's hockey. The author has said that the way Shanks scares off the sea serpent is with Conqueror's hockey. Yep. So at the very least, he has that. Yeah, so if he has access and the ability to do that on command, like he was a pirate under Whitebeard, it's just kind of weird what he's doing here in East Blue, right? This just leads a lot of questions of like, I wonder how much of this had been thought up beforehand or if this was just stuff of like, oh yeah, I'll do this, or he became an emperor in the time that Luffy, because I mean, Luffy's not that old, so even though he was a kid, it's only been like... 10 years at most. Yeah, 10 years at most, which could have been the time when he decided to do this, but it feels like the other emperors had been doing this for quite a while, and they had been there for a long time. It didn't, like whenever they talk about the four emperors, it doesn't seem like Shanks just came out of nowhere in the last couple of years. That said, people are now calling Luffy the fifth emperor, so it is possible that Shanks did do that. I, is, I can see it either way. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like he... It, I'm not saying that he couldn't have come out of nowhere. It just felt like he's been there for a while. Now, maybe that's just been the last five years or whatever, but he's definitely... At this point, he's been to the Grand Line because he was there. He's been there with Whitebeard. He's at least been there with... Did uh, Gold Roger leave him before they entered the Grand Line? I thought they got up through the first half before they left Shanks and Buggy and kicked them off, but I could be wrong. That that might have happened. Boilers for way in the future of One Piece. But Shanks is going to leave the town permanently because he's got to go on to deeper seas. Well, I mean, essentially he makes note of the fact that it's like, I can't stand, you know. I can't keep, stand one place. Yeah, we long. keep moving We keep moving the home port over and over again, which makes sense. The pirates can't. You're not really pirates if you have a home. Yeah. But he gives Luffy his straw hat and says, hey, this was very important to me. So when you become a big shot pirate, bring it back to me, which, of course, becomes Luffy's moniker. And in that moment, it really feels like Odai knows the history of that hat, whether or not he had figured it out yet. Yeah. Again, this is all speculation, but he probably had some ideas and maybe hadn't pinned down all of the details, which is what my guess would be, is that I have this idea of what this hat is going to symbolize, but I don't have every detail specifically nailed down, but I have enough of a general map that I can start filling in the features on it. Yeah. So then after that, we cut to a few years in the future to, I guess, modern times where Luffy has grown up. He goes out in like this little rowboat and he meets the sea monster that bit off Shank's arm. Yep. And says he's been practicing to make sure his punch is really as strong as a pistol, which is a claim he made to Shanks when he was a kid. Yep. And we get this beautiful two-page spread of him doing his gum-gum pistol attack, which is kind of his signature punch move, yep. which is just a stretchy punch. But this two-page spread looks phenomenal. It does. And we also, later on, when he does gum-gum whip for the first time, we get a two-page spread for that. And I kind of wish every time Luffy pulled out a new move, 
there was just a two-page spread devoted to it. That's a lot of space for a comic, but yeah, they both look tremendous. I'm sure that happens with some of his bigger attacks, like the first time he does Red Hawk probably has at least a full page devoted to it, stuff like that. So I could see that being a trend of whenever he unveils, like there are some moves that he unveils that don't have as much impact as like, all right, here's the first time you see his first move pistol or whip where it's useful against multiple enemies. But he does come up with quite a few moves, so I can see them not having two pages for every single one. Like I said, that chews up a lot of space in a comic, but they always, or I guess the two in this one look incredible. So I kind of want one for all of Luffy's moves and Zoro's moves and Sanji's moves, if, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I feel like Sanji doesn't have that many moves. He does not. Zoro doesn't really have a lot either. I guess he has close to Luffy's though. Yeah, Luffy has the most definitely. Zoro Zoro does have quite a bit more, and Sanji really only has like five. So Luffy says he wants to have ten men eventually, even though he's starting out with nothing, which is kind of where he is. He's got yeah. nine other people, so that's ten including yep. him. Although Jimbei's a little up in the air right now. No, he's been Jimbei's been sworn in. Yes, but he's not there. He's not there, yeah, but And we don't know where he is. He was with the he was he was with the Sun Pirates, like yep. holding off Big Mom, but we don't know what we what? specifically don't know what happened to them. But I'm assuming because he got sworn in. I'm assuming he'll show up again, but Yeah. Luffy I'm also just, technically has a much bigger pirate fleet. That well, to be fair, he turned that down. Yeah, but uh they didn't. They were <laughs> like, No, 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 we're your underlings. He's no, I don't want any underlings. No. We are your underlings. You have no say in the matter. So then we start with the Kind of the first story, the first episode of the anime, which is, again, kind of a microcosm of the way every One Piece arc works. It's about this kid who's being trapped in this situation with this tyrannical pirate captain. Yep. Luffy shows up, makes fun of him, just like Shanks made fun of him, Yep. to like motivate him to follow his dreams. Luffy takes out the pirate captain, and they go on their way. Yep. It's... Like I said, a one-chapter story, it's very brief, and there's more details than that. But that's basically the way every One Piece arc works. Yeah, at a very basic level. The kid is Kobe, who wants to join the Marines, which we find out are basically the government military force. Yep, which makes sense. The the whole world's, like, on an ocean, essentially. I also like this is an establishment of, as Luffy gets older, it feels like he doesn't care about danger at all. And he's just very carefree and happy-go-lucky. Because when he was a kid, he cared about a lot of stuff. He got, ah, I can't believe uh, you know you insulted Shanks and you're doing all this stuff and it got him in trouble. And so he has learned, just like Shanks said, ah, it's just a bit of booze. It's, you know, th- this stuff doesn't really matter, so I don't need to worry about it. So he is in his dinghy and it's like, man, I'm getting sucked into a giant whirlpool. Really sucks that I can't swim. Well, I, it's a giant whirlpool. I wouldn't be able to swim out of it anyway. Yeah, he really just like doesn't care about the danger at all, which he does not. helps the audience not be scared, I think. One of the things One Piece is really good at is the characters are all kind of goofy in a way, but the situations are all super serious. Yep. And there's a lot of, especially when we get to Zoro's arc in a little bit, a lot of blood and kind of darkness to it. Yeah, But Zoro's a dude who literally fights with a sword in his mouth, and it's easy to forget how ridiculous that is when you've yep. been a One Piece fan for 10 years like I have. Yeah, well, I mean, because we're introduced to that stuff almost immediately. I like to think Luffy is carefree because he realized that, because you can see 
in later arcs, there are situations where he becomes not carefree, and it's about big things. Yeah, he's, he's learned from Shanks. Yes. Like, it's very clear, even in this first chapter, that he's trying to emulate Shanks, and he's been doing it his entire life. So yep. it's not like an act. It's who he's become. The same way Shanks belittled him to try to motivate him. That's exactly what he does to Kobe, and it works. Yep. Yeah, it was just really cool to see that transformation of the younger kid Luffy would have been freaking out about the whirlpool, and now older Luffy's just, nah, I don't care. It's a giant whirlpool, whatever. I'll be fine. Or I'll die, and that'll be the end of my adventure, and that'll suck. Yep. He even seems to almost know that One Piece is an unattainable goal, and he just doesn't care. Sort of. At least this early on. I feel like he... He doesn't care as much about the actual treasure. I think, like in real life, One Piece is just an excuse for Luffy to go on adventures. Yeah. That's what he wants. Well, so he he intrinsically understands that it's the journey, not the destination. Like we learned later on at one point when uh, Usopp tries to get Rayleigh to tell him about Raftil. And Luffy is like, no, if you tell me anything, I will quit being a pirate right now. Because he realizes that it's not about getting to the end. It's about the journey of going to the end. I don't care if there's no pot at the end of the rainbow. It's about riding the rainbow. Yeah, I'm certain Luffy's straw hat is one piece. I'm certain. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Because I, I could imagine it's that. And then the, there's also going to be a ton of gold. There could be too. I mean, Luffy does say in the first chapter that he's going to have more gold than any other pirate by the time he's done. And they're not good at keeping gold as a crew. Well, too busy spending it on sweet parties. Well, yeah, because Luffy doesn't care about the treasure at all. <laughs> That's what he has Nami for, to care about treasure. Yeah. Well, at one point, you know, he mentions that the Pirate King is the freest person in the world. Yeah. Like, that's who the Pirate King is. I am not the dude who controls everybody. I am the most free person in the world. That is the King of the Pirates. So after he saves Kobe, Kobe brings him to an island where the pirate hunter Zoro has been captured because he heard about him and he wanted to see if he was strong enough to join his crew or if he was a good guy. Also, my translation uses the name Zolo, I think because it was published early on, and that's the name four kids chose, but he's always going to be Zoro in my head, so that's just what I'm going to say. Yeah, I my translation had Zoro. I don't think Kobe specifically took him to where Zoro was. Kobe wanted to go to the next... Well, he wanted to go where the nearest Marine base was, yeah, but also they had heard that Zoro had been captured by the Marines and was there. And was so that Lu- what it was? I yeah. thought it was just when they got to the island, it was, oh, this is where Zoro is being captured? No, they already knew that, because Luffy's like, oh, I want to go ask him, or okay. I want to go see if he's a good guy, and if he is, I will ask him to join my crew. He yep. sounds strong. So, again, this even more establishes what the One Piece formula is, because, again, we have a corrupt... Authority figure, in this case, a Marine lieutenant, I believe. Or no, he's captain. He's captain. Duh. He's Captain Morgan. Yep. Who's actually Captain Hook, but we'll get to that in a minute. Well, uh, both. Because he's Captain Axe Hand. Yeah. He's he's just instead of a hook hand, he's got an axe hand. Yep. He's Axe Hand Morgan. They get to the town, and Kobe wants to enlist in the Marines, like was his plan to begin with. Yep. But they pretty quickly find out that it's all under the thumb of this Marine captain and his son, who's just kind of a jerk. Yep. Well, and his son is just flaunting his dad's power, essentially. Yeah, he's like, oh, give me what I want, or my dad will kick your ass. Yeah, because Helmapo. Helmapo? I don't know how to say his name. That's why I'm avoiding it. Is like a foppish dandy that just, oh, my dad's important, so I can get whatever I want. So Kobe's like, oh, is this what the Marines are like? I this this kind of sucks. Like this isn't what my my idea of the Marines are. 
yeah, the Marines kind of have to be corrupt in this world in order for the pirates to be the good guys. So I guess it's good that we're establishing it early on. But also this story goes out of its way to show that not everyone who enlists or even everyone who's in power is that way. Yeah, by the just, end of it. Yeah, they're just like there are uh, corrupt pirates. There are and there are good pirates. There are corrupt Marines and good Marines showing that you cannot generalize in anything. It's not that all of the Marines are, the, you know, these upstanding citizens. There are the corrupt ones. There's the not corrupt ones. There's the guys that just cower. And there are the guys that will stand up to corruption. So Zoro has been captured because he killed the dogs of the Marine boss's son because they were attacking a little girl. Yep. So he's been told by the son that if he can last 30 days without food, he'll let him go. And the little girl tries to smuggle him some rice balls, but she is thrown out for the attempt because she's caught. And Luffy gives him the rice balls, which he eats even though they're full of dirt. The little girl made the rice balls, and when she's bringing them to Zoro, Helmopo shows up, and so he throws her out. He doesn't want to kill her because she's a little kid, or he's like, ah, just throw her over the wall. But first she tries to eat one of the rice balls, uh, and he's like, what? You you seasoned these with sugar. You're supposed to season rice balls with salt. She's like, well, I like sugar, so I figured that it'd be good on the rice balls. So he stomps them into the ground, and that's when... After after all that happens, that's when Luffy feeds them to Zoro. And Zoro is like, make sure to tell the girl I said they were delicious. And Luffy's like, ah, you are a good dude. You're joining my crew. Yep. And Zoro's like, my name is Pirate Hunter Zoro. I am not joining your pirate crew. I mean, this also leads to a precedent of Luffy being, you are joining my crew. Not asking. He's like, nope, you're, part, you're going to be part of my crew. To, you know, basically anyone that catches his interest. I also like that. Earlier on, when he was like, oh, "I'm gonna have 10, 10 men," we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have a, or no, this is later on because yeah. uh, this is when he's talking to Zoro, but uh, we're gonna have a cook and a musician because uh, they initially were told they needed a navigator. Yeah, because Luffy just wandered around. Kobe actually knew how to get where he was going, though. So he, he was like, "You need a navigator," and Luffy's like, "Yeah, that would be good." Yep, and he's like, "Oh, we'll I have ten people. We'll have a cook, you know, musician." And Zoro's like, "Those aren't important at all." Cook is kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> but Luffy overhears Helmop. I can't say his name. I'm not I think try. I'm I think it's Helmopo. Helmopo. He overhears Helmopo being like, ah, no, we're just gonna kill Zoro in three days. And so he punches him, yep. outraged that he broke his promise. So he goes to run to his dad and tells him what's up. And he's like, Oh, did you kill the little girl? And he's like, No, she's a little girl. He's like, Oh, you're weak. I never hit you because you suck. Yeah, but- I never hit you because you're not worth hitting. I don't care. He's like, I don't care if you use if you use my fame or status to get what you want, but you follow my rules. So he's like, I'm going to have to go into the village and execute that little girl and execute any of the guards that try and argue with. No, we're not going to execute a little girl. Yeah, but we get people standing up to him under him to demonstrate there are clearly some good people in the Marines, yep. but they're all sort of out of fear continuing to listen to him and he is straight up just an evil king he looks like a cyborg with an axe hand instead of a hook hand he's having the other marines erect a statue of him on top of his tower to look cool he also his axe hand has a weird like bone jutting out from his elbow so that he can grab onto it with his other hand i don't know how this builds momentum because like i can't get my arm (laughs) to move that way but He's got like an axe handle coming out of the back end of his elbow. It does read right, at least. It does read right, but like trying to do it myself is like, I can't, how how would you? 
Like yeah. I get, I, I sort of understand the axe hand. I don't understand the extension and how that helps you at all. Kobe, having listened to Luffy, goes to rescue Zoro to stop Elempo from killing Zoro. While Luffy goes to try and find his swords, yep, he basically kidnaps Elempo. Is like, hey, take me to Zoro's sword. Z. He's like, take me. I think he just he, says sword. He says swords in the translation I read, but well, yeah, I think I think that's what it was because I think Zoro mentions his his swords. He took his swords. Yeah, that probably is because he's like, hey, where he says, hey, if I had my swords, I would be out of here already. Yep. Luffy's like, I'll go get them, and then I won't give them back to you unless you join my pirate crew. Yep. And Zoro's like, you jerk. I'm not joining your pirate crew. Yeah. So Kobe goes to stop him from being killed, but is shot by one of the Marines to show you Morgan's super evil, if you didn't realize yep. that already. And then Luffy ends up breaking the statue because he hears a commotion up at the top of this like tower that is the Marine Base HQ where the statue is being erected. So he uses his move gum gum rocket to launch himself up to the top of the tower and he inadvertently grabs onto the statue causing it to fall down and shatter. Yeah. So Morgan's pissed and going to kill everybody now. Yep. And he forces a couple of his subordinates to commit suicide by shooting themselves in the head that part's really awkward and i don't think it quite it's just a bit much yeah it's like we already are he's already reads his villain so well that well and that specifically was like so i get that some of the marines try and stand up and he says something and they back down but it's like who would point a gun at your own head like what's the guy gonna do besides kill you for not obeying an order to kill yourself so like you could at least shoot him maybe like that—that's murder. I, you can't—you can't order your subordinates to kill themselves. I don't think. <laughs> Not usually. Not usually. So Luffy's running around the base with Helempo as a hostage, and he's like, "Oh, shoot him! It's fine." Yep. Which again, he's very much like Shanks. He's a dirty pirate. He doesn't play by the rules. Not like a classical hero, but kind of similar to Goku in certain ways. He plays a bit like an anti-hero, but he's still clearly the good guy. Yeah. Especially in contrast to Morgan who the author goes out of their way to make almost cartoonishly evil. Yeah, well, and also in Luffy's defense, it's Helmopo that he's being like, ah, shoot him, he's also the bad guy. I don't care. I don't think he would be running around with a regular Marine being like, ah, shoot him, I don't care. So Luffy finds three swords, but Helmopo has been knocked out. So he's like, yeah, I'll just grab him, ask which one's his. Yep. Is it Kobe that Zoro explains his backstory to or Luffy? I can't remember. I think it's he explains it to Luffy. When they're on the, I, is it when they're on the boat or he might? No, be it's talking? here. It's before he's free. Okay, so yeah, then it it must be Kobe because I think Luffy shows up and then the the fight starts immediately. So one thing that's really really cool about Zoro's flashback is the entire thing is done with black panel borders, which gives it this real samurai movie feel and also makes it really clear that it's taking place in the past, and it also just makes it feel darker. Yeah, there's a lot more shading going on. Basically, he used two swords, and he was a master even as a child, but the daughter of his sensei, he could never beat in a fight. Yep. So he was always frustrated and always challenging her. At one point, he steals some real swords and challenges her to a fight with real swords, but loses even that. Yep. And she says she's jealous of him because he's a boy, and boys get stronger as they grow up, but girls get weaker. But Zoro tells her that he wants to beat her, and he doesn't want it to be because she got weaker. Excuse. Yep. So they pledge one of them will be the greatest swordsman in the world. Uh, and then she falls down some stairs and dies. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's obviously tragic. 
And so Zoro swears to become the best swordsman for yep. both of them. I would have liked her to like die from a sickness or something that's a lot, a lot less, less physical. Yeah, like how does this? You know, she's a sword master. I mean, it could happen, but it it feels weird that a sword master would slip down some stairs and die. It would have. I feel like it would have been a lot better to. Oh, then she caught the flu and died, or something like that. Where it was like, well, I mean, I can't cut disease with a sword. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. Uh, the anime makes this a lot more ambiguous. I don't know if it's a standards and practices thing, but it's not clear that she dies in the anime. Yeah, just that like she can't be a swordsman anymore. Whereas in the manga, it's very clear that she's she's dead. dead. And so Zoro takes her sword and says, "I will fulfill my promise." So that one of us is the greatest swordsman ever. Yeah. So now we have both Zoro and Luffy's backstory. Yep. I really like their motivations that Zoro wants to become the greatest swordsman ever to fulfill a promise to an old rival and a girl he liked, not in that way, but like somebody he respected. Yeah. And Luffy also wants to become king of the pirates so that he can be worthy of somebody that he respected. Yeah. So they're both uh, trying to be worthy to people they respected. And I, I really like that's their goals as opposed to like, I want to be king of the pirates to be the richest man on the planet or some, you know, I want to be the greatest. I want to be the strongest person to be the strongest person. It's I want to be worthy of this person that I used to respect. Yeah. So he basically tells Luffy, Hey, I have one goal, which is to be the strongest swordsman. So I'll be a pirate. As long as you promise that won't get in my way. And Luffy's response is just be like, oh, I'm going to be king of the pirates, so I need the strongest swordsman in my crew. Yeah, <laughs> which which is a total Luffy response, but it's just great. Yeah. It ends with Zoro saying, you've got yourself a pirate, which is a great line. And then Luffy's like, hey, which one of these swords and you? He's like, oh, I use all three. Yep. Which is a really makes you want to see, like, how does that work? I mean, clearly it doesn't. This is a setting where physics don't generally tend to work well yes but i'm saying it like yeah. at the end of the chapter if you're yeah, really well, weekly, it, you're gonna be like oh man i want to see i want to see, see this three sword dude and do some three swords yep i remember legend of zelda the four swords i've never seen a three swords before though yep uh so the next chapter actually starts a little way back with a recap almost like an american comic i've never seen a manga do this before although it works yeah where it just shows them again being like okay this is what's gonna happen so Luffy gives Zoro his swords and he like in one motion cuts himself free and blocks the sword attacks of like an entire group of Marines. Yeah. And it's one of the coolest panels I've ever seen, well, especially since he's not looking at them. He's talking to Luffy with a sword in his mouth, by the way, while he's, he's holding them off. Yeah. And it's just this incredible static shot. Yeah. Of him back to like eight Marines with swords holding all of them at bay. And all of them scared out of their minds that he goes, the next guy to move dies. Yeah. And they're all like, oh, not me, buddy. Yep. I'm good. Now, was this before? I think this was after Luffy jumped in front of Zoro to absorb all the, the bullets. Oh, yeah. That happens earlier. They're about to firing squad him and Luffy just like jumps down with the swords. That's yep. Luffy's intro before. Yeah. I forgot about that part, but it's really good. And you just see all the bullets like shooting into him and then bouncing him out. And he's like, bullets don't work on me. Yeah, which is which is a, a cool sequence, and also it leads to the captain realizing that Luffy must have eaten a devil fruit. Yeah, which is the first time they're mentioned as like multiple things that can give you different powers. Yeah. So, like I said, that's established by the end of this volume, though it didn't really feel like it was there earlier on. No, so it felt like some super rare thing, which I guess technically. So, 
they're super rare, but because we're dealing with them all the time, they don't feel that way. It feels like every other character has a devil fruit ability. Well, now, but also he's getting to the point where he's at the top, so. Yeah, well, and I mean, that's what it is with the selection bias. Yeah. Where because he's dealing with all of these super powerful people, it's like, I mean, the general population doesn't have access to devil fruits, but if you get a bunch of kings together, of course they're going to have the most money or you know, access to all these devil fruits. So this entire like fight sequence, Luffy and Zoro are looking at each other and like attacking the guy behind them. Yep. It's really cool. It's like the back to back badass thing, but they're facing each other. Yep. And just taking out the guy behind them. Halempo gets a gun up to Kobe's head and says, Hey, stop or I'm gonna shoot. But Kobe says not to, so Luffy takes him out and at the same time Zoro takes Morgan out. Yep. And it's just one of the best battle sequences I've seen in a comic. Yep. This happens a lot in One Piece with Luffy intrinsically trusts his crew members. And I mean, this is before Zoro's literally just become his crew member, but he's like, ah, he's got me. There's tons of sequences where Luffy will, I love it. I think it's the Fishman arc where Luffy's walking up to Hody and two of the Fishman lieutenants jump him. And Zoro and Zoro Sanji, and Sanji are there. stop them. And it's like Luffy doesn't blink. He doesn't look at them. He just keeps walking like, I'm good. And Mike. there's a moment like that early on with Shanks and his crew. Yep. Where a dude is pointing a gun at Shanks. He's like, careful where you're pointing guns. That's deadly. And then one of his crewmates just blasts his head off. Yep. I don't remember that guy's name. I don't either. He's fat guy with gun. Fat, yeah, the fat guy with gun. Uh, the other guy, Mr. First Mate, yeah. is uh, Ben Beckman, I want to say. That sounds right. Uh, He's a Marvel Comics superhero, Ben Beckman. Yeah, well, we don't we don't learn his name until like, later. Yeah, because it's uh, Kizaru mentions it. Lots of spoilers for future stuff. Yeah, so this first arc is basically just establishing Luffy and Zoro as pretty much badasses. Yep. And it's this nice brief arc. I talked in Dragon Ball about how it felt weird that we didn't get a complete story. But this Luffy and Zoro meeting is a short, complete story that hits all the beats you want. Yep. And we even get the denouement afterwards where they're eating at the diner where the little girl's mom works, trying to plan what they're going to do next. Yep. Kobe wants to enlist in the Marines and Luffy tricks him into hitting him in front of a bunch so they won't think that he's friends with them. Well, yeah, because the Marines show up and are like, hey, we're super grateful. Thank you for helping us. But you're also pirates and we can't let that go. Yeah. So you have to leave immediately or we'll have to arrest you. And so because Luffy knew Cody wanted to be part of the Marines, but they had seen him hanging out with Luffy, that they had to make it established that they didn't actually care about one another so that Kobe could join the Marines, even though later on all of the Marines show up and salute Luffy and And Zoro as they leave. As they leave, with Kobe doing it first, and then the Marine, I'm guessing, Lieutenant maybe? It seems like he's the second in command. He's definitely like in charge now. Yeah, he's definitely in charge now. And he mentions it was like, uh, as you know, saluting a pirate is an offense, so we're going to go without dinner for a week or something like that. Yeah. But this is the first example of, as Mihawk once notes much later on in the series, Luffy's true power is that he makes friends with everybody he goes to meet. Like Naruto and Goku. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of the it's kind of the style of shonen protagonist superpower of I make allies everywhere I go. Yeah. Uh, and he has them in every corner of the world, which is starting to come into play in the current part of the series. Yep. But 
it's a, also like the One Piece tradition of having a celebration at the end and like yep. Luffy having to leave and leave all these characters behind. Yep. Kobe does come with him from the first chapter, but he's one of many characters that get left behind to continue on their own adventures after Luffy touches them. Yep. Well, which is a cool aspect of the series. Yeah, it's definitely cool. I like that a bunch of these side characters will come back later on, yeah. too, which is really neat. It's very Silver Age of DC Comics continuity, yeah. where Lex Luthor just has a planet where everyone thinks he's a hero. He can go to hang out and lay low. That's yeah. just brought up when the plot needs it. Yep. And I also like this is more of an establishment of Luffy is usually good-naturedly chased out of the places he saves. Unless because it's he- Chaser chasing him. Yeah. Because Chaser is just Zenigata. Well, you mean uh, Smoker? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Smoker, yes. Chaser is what they called him in the English dub. Okay. Because smoking is bad. Yeah, that makes sense. But I usually think of him as Smoker. That would be like if I said Zolo all of a sudden. So (laughs) I'm not sure what happened there. But yeah, he's usually good-naturedly chased out because it's like, well, I mean, you're still a pirate, but you also did just save us, so we can't really get too mad at you. And there was that time Fujitora dropped a meteor on him (laughs) to chase him out. Yeah, but even then, that was like that was good naturedly. That's like, true. Uh, he was like, "Oh, but dice are bad. I can't go fight him today." Yep. Well, and he was he was like, "Ah, I tried," even <laughs> though he really didn't. Yeah. Like clearly, he could have done something about it, but he was like, "That was all the townsfolk showed up to help hide Luffy as he was leaving, and it's because he makes friends wherever he goes. So for whatever reason, the government doesn't like him. I guess because he hasn't met them or they haven't met him." So there's one more chapter at the end of this, after the Luffy and Zoro story, Yep, where the two of them are setting out. Neither of them knows how to navigate, so they need to find a navigator. And Zoro is specifically horrible at directions. Like, literally, he's like, I became a bounty hunter because I tried to leave my home village and got lost and got stuck following a pirate and decided, well, I need to make money, so I will continue doing this. Yeah, and getting lost is a continual Zoro character trait, and I've forgotten this part, and I love that his backstory is, I got lost, so now I'm a pirate hunter. Yeah, like, it's... Like, we didn't even mention it in this chapter 920. There's a bit of Zoro being lost. Like, how did that lion get lost when I was writing, writing on it? it? Yeah, well, in the, the, uh, the earlier comic, they were like, how did we lose Zoro? He was riding on the dog. Zoro's very good at getting lost. <laughs> Except in the uh, Shabonde arc, where he's the first guy to make it back to Shabonde for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, well, and he he like hold, he like lords it over everybody that he was like, I was the first one here. Yeah, Well, I think it's because Perona just like sat him there and was like, don't move. Well, yeah, she brought him here. But it was still funny that it was like, because he's always the dude that's getting lost, even though now... He was like, I can't believe that dog got lost with me writing it. Is like he, he refuses to believe that he's the guy that gets lost. It's a very good character trait. It is. Anyway, so they come across some people who are just like treading water and are stuck, and they pick them up and they explain how they got swindled by. Oh, actually, first Luffy yeah. gets hungry. I forgot about this. Yeah, bit. Luffy gets hungry and sees a bird, and he's like, I'm going to go get that bird. Until he realizes that the bird is much bigger than he thought, and he gets his head stuck in the bird's beak. And so the bird starts flying away, and uh, Zoro's like, don't worry, Luffy, I'll save you. So he's rowing after Luffy as this bird is flying away, and he runs over (laughs) a couple of dudes that are adrift at sea. (laughs) He's like, grab on if you want to come, I'm not stopping. Well, yeah, because they're they're ahead, and they're like, hey, slow down. And he's like, I'm not stopping, so just grab on. And they're like, oh my god, I can't believe you were going to leave us. 
Well, then they immediately try and rob him, and he beats them up, and he has them rowing for him now. And he's like, "Well, I lost, I lost my friend, so hopefully he's going, he's still going in this direction." But anyway, they explain that they got swindled by a thief at sea who was like, "Ah, oh, I'm stuck and I have no water, but you can have all this treasure." Well, she was also a, a pretty girl. That's true. She was very pretty, and they like, and she steals their boat. Yep. From out from under them, and it's of course Nami, who you'll yep. be familiar with. Well, and she also used her piece. knowledge. So she specifically uses her knowledge of the weather to know that. When they got on her dinghy, the dinghy immediately gets sunk by the storm so that they're stranded at sea. And that's when Zoro goes, oh, she must be, uh, if she understands the seas that well, she'll probably be a great navigator. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, she is now running from some pirates in a town where Luffy is dropped in by the bird. Yep. And she's like, oh, boss, you came to save me. Great. And Luffy's like, huh? What? Well, isn't it? The pirates are mentioning something about, I don't want to be shot by one of the special cannonballs. And yeah, they're like, what's special. that flying monster? Because they see it looks like a bird person <laughs> thing. Yeah. And so they shoot it with a cannonball and Luffy falls out of the sky and is totally fine because he's Luffy. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, oh, boss, thanks for coming to save me. Uh, you deal with these guys. Yep. But because he's Luffy, he beats them up. Yeah. But also because he's Luffy, he doesn't question it at all. He's like, huh, what? Uh, and she's like, ah, you're pretty good. I am a thief that steals from pirates. And Luffy's like, huh, interesting. Yeah. And that's where it cuts. Yeah, which is definitely a good cliffhanger of, I want to see how, like, knowing what happens, I would want to see how Nami swindles Luffy. And yeah. then uh, what I'm assuming is going to happen is she will become part of his crew because he needs a navigator and they've kind of been hinting at it. Of course, so, we know that already. Yeah, but, but I would want to see how that happens. Like, yes. how does he convince this person that wants to rob him? I mean, A, he doesn't have anything. She, she so. did. He did just convince a pirate hunter to Yeah, he convinced a pirate hunter to join his crew. So, so now he's like, got to do a pirate thief. I, I want to see how he does it. She doesn't even murder pirates. Yeah. So that's One Piece Volume 1. And like I said, I really enjoyed revisiting this earlier One Piece. I bought the entire first box set and it was real hard not to just crack open Volume 2 and keep going. Yep. Uh, One thing I do want to mention that I really liked are the little side things uh, after chapters. Like, here's how you draw a skull and bones. Here are some uh, alternate pirate skull and bones designs. Here's the reason, you know, here's the term behind Jolly Roger. Like... He'll have like a single page, you know, here's how you draw this. Here's the explanation for this. And it's like a little more pirate things. And it was just, it was really cool. I don't think it was after every chapter, but it was after a couple of the chapters that they'd have that little side thing. Yeah, I particularly like the Skull and Crossbones one because he's like, first you do this, then you do this, and then you do this. And it's like, and then you're done. And when he's like, then you're done, it's like a super realistic. It goes from like the cartoony. Yeah, the cartoony Skull and Bones to to a super realistic. He's like, wait, no, then you're done. And now it's the more cartoony one again. Yeah, that was great. So I just wanted to mention that because I really liked those little touches of, hey, here, and I don't know if those were released in the original chapters. I believe they were. Okay. But it just it's fun to see them in this collected volume. Yeah, so I just really enjoyed it because I really like One Piece. And like I said, I think the art early on was way better, which is kind of to be expected because he's not burnt out yet. He's still proving himself. Yep. But I really wish the fight scenes still looked this good. Yeah. Well, and they also mention... Uh, at least in my version, it had an explanation of why the first chapter was called Romance Dawn. Oh, yeah, because he had previously released some, like, co- not concept, but some, like, I guess, pilots for One Piece. Yeah, he mentioned under that it, name. It got, I think it was the second one got into Jump, 
but the first one was like Romance Dawn. The characters look way different. He but he kept some of the story elements the same. And in the second one, he actually changed some of the story elements up to not involve Shanks. And instead, it was like the village chief who had the ability to use magic or something like that. Yeah. And he was like, I didn't want to release Shanks before the official release, which I thought was cool. But the art style switched back more to what we think of as classic One Piece. Yeah, those are in the box set. I haven't read them, but okay. I'm curious to. Oh, like the actual yeah, things? Yeah, both the Romance Dawn. Yeah, uh, this was just like, it was a single, here's a page from the first Romance Dawn, and here's one from the second one, so that you can kind of see what my art was like for these, my prequel chapters, essentially. Yeah. So is there anything else we want to say about One Piece? The character designs are pretty good. I kind of don't think Luffy's is great. The straw hat is really good, but other than that, he's kind of just a guy. The scar makes him distinctive. The scar makes him distinctive. I think he works better in color. Yeah, because you have the red shirt. Because he's got the red shirt. But the red Zorro, shirt and the straw hat. But Zoro and Nami both look amazing to me. Like yeah. Especially Zoro with his bandana on and those heavy shadows. Yeah. Zoro looks really cool. And Captain Morgan basically just being, what if Captain Hook had an axe instead of a hook? Yeah. Is also pretty good. Oh, one of the side things was... Uh, oh, it, like, this is what Morgan used to like. like and then my well, editor yeah. was like, he looks lame. Well, that's because he initially designed Helmipo, then designed his father. So he's like, well, his father looks like him, but more older. And then he said, and I went through like three or four more character designs before finally settling on Captain Morgan because my editor was like, that looks lame. Change him up. Which I thought was funny. Yeah. Well, it's like that. Uh, everyone knows the story of Akira Toriyama and the Android song. We're like, what? The villain is just an old guy in a fatso? Yep. They're lame. What? It's just a bunch of random teenagers? They're lame. All oh, this cell guy looks lame. Have him transform into his final form already. Yep. But anyway, that's One Piece. And if you've never read One Piece for whatever reason, I seriously would highly recommend it. These early chapters really hold up. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're really fun. They're a good entry into the story. They'll, they're even fun to go back to. If you've, say, been following the anime, it's fun to go back and be like, Oh, yeah, I'll speculate. You know, we had our speculation on Shanks. We have, oh, yeah, this thing happened. This thing happened. This is the first time this happened. It's got some really cool stuff in it. All right, so that's going to lead us to our new segment, Personality Power Level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? Personality Power Level is a segment we're going to be doing where we rank manga characters from our favorite to our least favorite. It's heavily inspired by Panel President, which they do on one of my favorite podcasts, War Rocket Ajax. I could not think of the podcast name for a second. War Rocket Ajax, that's a segment where they rank comic book characters. Gotcha. But they don't read manga, so a lot of times they get manga characters, and they're just like, I'm sorry, I wish we could, but one day I'm going to read Dragon Ball, but it's not today. Yep. So I really wanted to do something similar with these manga characters, so... Our baseline character is going to be Goku from Dragon Ball. There wasn't anyone to rank him against, so we skipped the segment last week. Yep. But now we're going to compare Luffy to Goku. So what are your thoughts? It's going to be a little difficult, I think, not to consider stuff other than what we've read. But I do want to have the option of moving characters when we get to stuff that we've never read before. If we read later volumes and want to adjust where they are. Yep. For me, if I'm going off of Dragon Ball Goku... Volume 1 and Volume 1 Luffy, I like Luffy way more. I would agree. What if you're like ranking them as entire characters, everything you know? Everything I know, I still like Luffy way more. Yeah, I do too, to be completely frank. 
Goku's been written poorly in the past. Luffy yeah. has an advantage of kind of only ever being written by Yurichio Odai. That's not entirely true. There are movies and also plenty of anime writers would probably be upset if they heard me say that because they've written new lines for him. But it's all kind of the, to that core of the character. Yep. Whereas when you have Goku, you've got GT, you've got lots of movies that aren't great. Super, his character is kind of inconsistent. Yeah. And I, I do like Goku, but early on, Goku is problematic. And even as he goes on, he feels more like a piece of the story. Luffy's not my favorite character. Uh, he's really happy-go-lucky. He doesn't really develop after his first chapter, where we see him develop hugely. We do see him react to crises and such, but we never really see him change. That said, I do like him yeah. more than Goku. A lot. Yeah. I like him better as a character. I like his goals. He's not. He doesn't have the Goku problem of, well, that would make the fight not fair, so I'm going to make it harder on myself or easier for my opponent. Or Does that make him a better character, though? Because Goku having that flaw, I think, is one of the more interesting things about him. I don't know that Luffy really has a character flaw, right? He's way too trusting. Yeah, that's true. Because he's so happy-go-lucky, he tends to allow himself to be swindled and tricked. That's true. That's almost always ends up being to his advantage in the end. Usually, yeah. Versus the Goku thing, uh, a lot of the time bites him in the butt. And yeah. He usually has to get bailed out. And so I guess that's why I don't like it as much. Like, it's not that I don't like that he has a flaw. It's more, you know... All right, so after the sixth time that this happens to you, you should probably learn to stop doing that. I guess the real reason I like him is it feels like Goku often regresses to being dumber than he was before. Yeah. Whereas Luffy almost has the opposite thing, where he often acts dumb, but it really does feel like it's an act he's putting on at times. And there is a more serious intellectual person under that yeah. that he'll bring out when he needs him. I feel that usually Luffy, he's got that kind of instinctual intellect of it's like uh he's not necessarily a book smart guy he's not going to figure out the evil guy's plan but you get him into a fight and he can very easily figure out his opponent and a way around it so it's that i can apply my like i can apply my knowledge in this specific way so i can figure out my opponents but don't expect me to come up with some plan to go steal the captain's treasure or whatever from the naval base someone else will have to do that but if it's trying to figure out how this opponent uses himself that's when he lets he lets it known that he's kind of that not idiot savant but he's focused in his genius Goku's very much the same way, though. There's that Team Four Star joke about, like, Trunks' roided-out farm, where Goku just, like, instantly explains it all perfectly. Yes. He's like, what? He's like, sorry, I was thinking about fighting. And one of the reasons it's hard to compare these two characters is Luffy is so clearly a descendant of Goku. Like, he's so heavily inspired by him. Yeah. And that's really worn on the sleeve. But I do think Luffy is better because he's willing to be like, hey, these are the things I'm bad at and I need people to cover me. Yeah. He's not like plans are dumb the way Goku will be sometime. Yeah. He's like, I need to surround myself with Nami and Brooke and Sanji so they can and, come up with yeah, and, and Usopp. And, well, I was thinking in Chopper. And Chopper. So they yep. will come up with smart plans. Yeah. So that. I don't get lost and... Swindled we, or cheated or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I need clever people to do clever things because I'm not... That's not me. I'm the punch guy. Yep. You saying him being a descendant of Goku just reminded me of... It's like a picture of Goku with Naruto, I think it's Ichigo, and Luffy. 
as like Goku being like the older teacher. And then they had the same thing going on with the newer generation of Izuku, Boruto, and someone else. Asta? Asta, maybe, yeah. It was just something like that of like, uh, you know, back in the good old days and like showing how these guys are clearly descendant from his character. Yeah, I don't really think Ichigo is... I, I guess, uh, before we go, we're going to put Luffy above Goku, right? Yes. So Luffy's number one. Goku is last at number two. Yep. Um, But I don't really think Ichigo is descended from Goku in the same way. And that's something we can talk about more next week, because next week we're going to be reading volume one of Taito Kubo's Bleach. Yep. Before we go, you can listen to our past episodes at www.lastpodcast.com. That's also where I have my other two podcasts, Last Time on Video Games, where we talk about a new video game next week. Kevin's on this episode, yeah, and we talk about System Shock. You can also find It's a Gundam, my episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast. Kevin's not on that. Nope, not on this one. But episode 14 should be up by now. Uh, We still don't have an email. I need to get that straightened out. So leave a comment on the website. If you want to say anything to us, if you want us to read something specific, especially we're going to be looking at some shoujo manga pretty soon, and I would really like some suggestions for that. Same thing if you just have any suggestions of early volumes for us to pick up. It'd be really great for you to tell us, hey, this is my favorite manga. I'd really like you to read it because odds are we might not have and we might really enjoy it too. Yeah, and if you're reading Stone and Jump because of us, let us know because that would be cool. Yeah. Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emmert. Our logo art is by Kate Wind on DeviantArt. You should check her out, and I highly recommend her for a commission if you need anything Sailor Moon related. I was really impressed with this art. Anything you want to plug, Kevin? Not that I can think of at the moment. All right, we'll see you next week. Gotta stop, don't you know, subliminal.